Welcome back to Is It Pompey Disease on the Hereditary Diseases Pod. In this episode, neurologists and co-authors of the current Pompey Disease Consensus Recommendations, Associate Professor Robert Henderson and Associate Professor Andrew Kornberg, review how Pompey Disease is diagnosed in practice, from clinical assessment through to testing. Hello and welcome to Is It Pompey Disease? In this episode, my colleague, Social Professor Robert Henderson and myself will explore the practical aspects of diagnosing Pompey disease, which is a rare but a treatable neuromuscular disorder. We'll talk a little bit about the clinical assessment of patients, the differential diagnosis, testing, and we will also bring into this discussion some case studies which will hopefully highlight the importance of making the diagnosis and the various presentations. So why don't we start off by just discussing the diagnostic algorithm uh, that was developed uh, in a paper which was recently published in the Neuromuscular Disorders Journal. Thanks, Andrew. The, the new guidelines, as you say, are an algorithm for the diagnosis and management. And some of the things that make them very helpful is they provide the input from uh, people across the spectrum in the diagnosis of Pompey disease. So you've got uh, input from neurologists, metabolic specialists, geneticists, and laboratory experts, as well as input from respiratory physicians. So what they do is they provide an update and they provide it in an Australian setting. In the past, people may have been um, diagnosing more based on muscle biopsies. And so that's an update for our guidelines that there's a practical and easy step to reach the diagnosis that for many people with Pompey disease should mean that a muscle biopsy isn't needed. And in the past, a lot of uh, the diagnoses were reached where patients had had an EMG performed. And for the listeners, an EMG stands for electromyography, and that's where a needle's placed into the muscle. And again, uh, this new diagnostic algorithm provides a framework to reach the diagnosis without the need for some of those testing. And it also brings in uh, new advances in the genetics and genetic testing that is helpful in sometimes confirming the diagnosis, but sometimes is not needed. So I think in paediatrics in particular, and the nice thing about this algorithm, it does take into account children. To do an EMG or a nerve conduction study in a young child is not uh, easy. You know, they may need sedation. Uh, there's a lot of trauma associated with it. And also muscle biopsies. Uh, once upon a time, we used to do lots and lots of muscle biopsies for conditions such as muscular dystrophy. In this day and age, with genetic testing and other testing, we're able to come up to a diagnosis without that invasive testing. The first panel in this algorithm is probably the most important thing that we can um, say today. So it says, symptoms suggestive of Pompey disease. So there is a table which actually lists all the possible symptoms of Pompey disease. And as a reader of this paper, we'll see that many of the symptoms are non-specific. There can be some muscle weakness, respiratory weakness, some difficulties like that. But you've got to think of the diagnosis if you're going to use this algorithm. But maybe we should just recap the signs and symptoms that should prompt further investigation. So, Rob, do you want to take it on 
with the adult world and then I will talk about it in paediatrics. It's all very easy once the diagnosis has been reached, but for many patients, they'll have a journey that'll last many years, even decades of symptoms that are just not recognised or taken seriously enough that people go and do the required testing. And so some of those symptoms can be muscle fatigue, which is very nonspecific. It's often in the muscles which are closer to the midline of the body. Simple things such as walking and uh, going up a flight of stairs or even arising if you're uh, down on the ground and you're trying to get up. But there's other patterns where people might be weak in other muscle groups. And a lot depends on which muscle groups you've got strong and what's your core strength. But the most important one is respiratory muscle. Many people would say that that's a later feature of Pompe disease, but sometimes you see that as the presenting feature. And so the key features there are shortness of breath, lying flat, uh, waking up at night, shorter breath, waking up with morning headaches. And they're non-specific symptoms, but they're really, really important because they indicate that respiratory muscles are weak. And usually by the time patients have respiratory muscle weakness, you know, their life expectancy is significantly reduced. Again, brings out the point that uh, an early diagnosis with treatment actually makes a difference for both mortality and, of course, morbidity. The only things that I would mention with signs and symptoms. So if we just separate that into the infantile onset uh, Pompe disease, typically those children present with hypotonia or low tone. They may very well exhibit muscle weakness, but the difficulty for many doctors who can't actually assess weakness uh, in a little baby, it may be misconstrued as just being part of floppiness. But there are some signs such as the child is less active, cannot lift the legs up against gravity, just lies there in a frog-like position. Children may have respiratory distress, may have difficulties with feeding, and indeed, uh, when you've got issues with muscle weakness and respiratory distress, children may not thrive. So those are non-specific symptoms. One of the signs, uh, other than the weakness, may be that the baby has a big tongue. That's where the glycogen is actually sort of deposited or more prominent in the tongue. So if you see a baby who's floppy and has a big tongue, you must think of this diagnosis. In the juvenile onset or later diagnostic group, Muscle weakness, as uh, Rob has described, difficulty climbing stairs, etc. No child comes to you and says, hi, doc, I'm weak. What you have to do is actually listen to the history and by uh, discerning the symptoms uh, such as difficulty getting up from the floor or climbing stairs or not keeping up with their peers or falling very often, that are the symptoms for muscle weakness. Rob, do you want to just bring us through very quickly through the different panels and uh, any thoughts that you have about them? Thanks, Andrew. I want to just reinforce what Andrew said, that you've really got to think of Pompeii disease to do the testing that is relatively straightforward to order, but it's not part of most routine panels. So you've got to think of it based on the symptoms. And as any good clinical doctor should do, you've got to take a history. So you've got to know what is troubling the patient, 
What are their signs that they're presenting with? And you've got to examine the patient. So you've got to see that pattern of muscle weakness. You check the CK level and the CK may be elevated, but it's very nonspecific in adults because of a range of uh, reasons. It hasn't quite got uh, the same implications in adults as it does in children. And you've got to ask questions about respiratory function. And and most people wouldn't think of that unless they ask those specific questions. And part of being a good clinician is coming up with a diagnosis and a differential diagnosis. And based on that, you come up with some tests that are performed. And so the key test that you've got to perform for Pompe disease is called the dried blood spot test. You can abbreviate that on a pathology slip by going DBS. And that's a relatively straightforward test um, that does get sent away. The key enzyme is the acid alpha-glucosidase, and there's a deficiency. So that's what's measured in the dried blood spot test, which is a test that doesn't require venipuncture. But you can test that level in other samples. And so a, a standard blood sample can also be used to test it and to try and confirm the GAA activity. There are other ways of testing, as we've summarised, but the key point to make is that the DBS testing is measuring the acid alpha-glucosidase activity and that that can be measured in other tissues and probably the major one is through a blood test. And I think uh, in infantile or the juvenile onset ones, think of the diagnosis, we would then probably get the CK if the CK is elevated, which is really virtually all patients with Pompe disease will have an elevated CK, we would then straight away go to the dried blood spot and uh, go down that whole pathway. We would very, very, very rarely do an EMG or nerve conduction study. That is usually only done in patients where we're thinking of some other diagnosis rather than a muscle disorder. And muscle biopsies, we would be doing maybe one muscle biopsy every two years at the moment for all the different neuromuscular disorders. One of the unusual things, uh, and I think this is the case in the adult world, is that people can have muscle pain. They feel sore with any activity, but just may have muscle pain. Their muscles are sore. In the adult population, muscle pain is relatively common. And uh, I guess the diagnosis of fibromyalgia is reached, uh, you know, is regarded with some degree of scepticism by both patients and doctors. And by making a more specific diagnosis as, such as Pompe disease, you're really uh, offering an avenue to a, a treatment as opposed to a non-specific diagnosis. One of our patients at the moment is a 39-year-old lady, and she had actually had six children, and she was actively playing netball and leading a very busy life. And over about a decade, she'd noticed that she started to get low back pain and weakness. But, you know, like many of these patients, they just soldier on, and uh, they'd obviously seen their general practitioner. And she'd had a brace, and she'd seen orthopedic surgeons. Then she started to have a few falls and falls are important because you can break things. And I think she had had an injury when she was playing netball in particular, but it wasn't really until uh, she uh, presented with morning headaches that people thought that something important might be going on here. 
and uh, eventually the penny dropped that she uh, had shortness of breath when she was lying flat. And so she was uh, diagnosed with respiratory muscle weakness. At that point, again, the penny should have dropped, but by examining her strength, and I think she was actually lined up for a muscle biopsy when um, the dried blood spot test was performed and came back positive. So that uh, enabled a more specific diagnosis. And for that, she's grateful. What about you, Andrew? Have you uh, got a case? Yeah, so I've got a, a young uh, boy who I initially saw him at four years of age, actually referred because of uh, issues with muscle pain. And he had non-specific muscle pain, but he had seen the gastroenterologist because of constipation where they identified abnormal liver function tests. He had a, a gamut of tests, liver function tests, an astute gastroenterologist had said, oh, well, this does not look like liver disease, did a, a CK at the same time, and that was elevated, and that prompted referral. Uh, so I saw this young man, and he had predominantly uh, nothing to find except muscle pain. That was his only neuromuscular symptom, and uh, with an elevated CK and muscle pain, that prompted me to do the DBS, the um, dry blood spot, and we made the diagnosis uh, thereafter. These patients may see lots of other doctors, and until the penny drops for someone that it is neuromuscular, no diagnosis will be made. And indeed, we've seen children in the past who've had muscular dystrophy, where they've had abnormal liver function tests, where they've had liver biopsies, when in fact the problem was muscle itself. So I think um, these case, uh, uh, two cases really do illustrate that uh, clinical assessment and thinking of the diagnosis is important. And even just a CK with some uh, other symptoms may very well prompt you to go down the pathway for diagnosis of Pompe disease. Have you got any other thoughts about how you actually uh, would go about excluding other diseases if you if someone comes to you with neuromuscular uh, symptoms? Yeah, it's always a good question. I think the key is finding that muscle weakness, and that does involve examining the patient. So once you find that muscle weakness, then there are a range of different muscular dystrophies, and they go under the heading of limb girdle muscular dystrophies and other types of disorders that are often inherited that should be thought of, and they can be divided up into problems with the nerve, the muscle, or the connection between nerve and muscle. So an example might be the condition called spinomuscular atrophy is mm. uh, one that would be in the differential diagnosis. But probably the majority are in those muscle disorders that um, would be the most common um, differential diagnosis for these patients. Then if they present with respiratory muscle weakness, that would bring in a different uh, differential diagnosis to think about. But as we've just mentioned before, the presentation with muscle pain and muscle uh, fatigue brings uh, other non-specific diagnoses into the picture. So it highlights that the finding of muscle weakness really deserves uh, chasing an answer for why that patient is weak. And the dried blood spot test is uh, an important part of the investigations that are based on your differential diagnosis. If you've got a patient who's uh got muscle pain, and as Rob points out, has an evidence of some muscle weakness either on examination or on history, 
but has an elevated CK, one should think of this as a diagnosis. And other things that may increase the suspicion of Pompe disease, in particular the adult world, is if there's respiratory muscle weakness as well. And I guess really your point of if they're lying flat, they have greater uh, issues with respiration, that should also increase the suspicion. Can you explain why patients have that symptom, uh, not doing very well lying flat, Rob? Well, it's, it's related to the weakness of the diaphragm. I guess it's the mechanics of how the diaphragm function. Uh, it's, it, to me, it's a bit like a tent, and I'm not a respiratory uh, physician in any way, shape, or form, but uh, um, the mechanics seem to be uh, uh, easier when we're upright. So patients uh, will notice the breathlessness when they're lying supine and they'll improve when they're upright. And so that's an important symptom that um, uh, you have to ask about. This young man I'm following with juvenile onset Pompe disease, one of the things that I do is um, six monthly respiratory function tests, but I actually do it both standing and supine because I think as Rob points out, in the supine position, if the respiratory function testing is significantly impaired, again, you must think of this as a diagnosis. And the laboratories have also got to uh, help us here because they should be trying to measure in those two positions. And about a 20% change would be diagnostic of uh, respiratory muscle weakness. And that is really your diaphragm because that's uh, for, for all of our normal activity, that's really the major muscle uh, that's in use. Just really to summarise the presentations and non-specific, they can occur in a whole lot of other conditions, but there are some clinical triggers, uh, respiratory muscle weakness, particularly the diaphragm, muscle pain should raise that suspicion for, for Pompe disease. So just really want to um, just tease out the testing and confirmation of a diagnosis of Pompe disease. So what we've gone to is a patient presents with some certain symptoms. Yes, you think of Pompe disease. So what's the next steps of testing and confirming the diagnosis? Rob? Well, you've got to know about this test called dried blood spot test. So for the listeners, that test is um, the one that has got a high uh, sensitivity and specificity. So it's, it, it's really um, changed the picture of uh, uh, Pompe disease testing. So I guess uh, in a sense, uh, the DBS does show reduced enzyme activities. Then you go about confirming that the enzyme activity is reduced on other substrates such as uh, lysosomes. There is a urinary test that you can do as well. That's the urinary tetrasaccharides and they're elevated and that is really just a marker for excess glycogen within cells. What would the next step be after you, you've found that the DBS shows reduced enzyme activity? What would the next step be for you, Rob? As a standard, I think I would perform the genetic testing, uh, molecular genetic testing to try and uh, reach a, a more certain diagnosis. And in adults, we often find that we've got one of the known mutations and one of the other mutations might be a mutation that can lead to a small amount of enzyme activity. And that's why they've presented a little bit later in life. I used to perform those uh, urinary tetrasaccharides because that was part of the... Um, diagnostic algorithm. 
But I guess I've moved away from that uh, more recently. I've certainly moved away from a, a muscle biopsy. It's a metabolic condition. And what your muscle biopsy is looking at is really the more of the structural uh, components to the muscle. I think uh, my experience is the same, uh, Rob. I think the DBS, dried blood spot, uh, is really advantageous. It's very rapidly, we get a result. Uh, there are really no disadvantages to it. And if you are going to treat patients, then you really need to be certain. So we do perform the molecular testing as well to confirm the diagnosis. What I would say is that if you've got a patient who presents with a neuromuscular syndrome, as we've discussed in this podcast, and their DBS is normal, that virtually excludes uh, Pompe disease. This is why this is such a rapid and specific and sensitive tests. So I think everyone should have this in their group of investigations that they do for neuromuscular disorders. I totally agree. I think uh, there are some key lessons in this podcast uh, for neurologists and other specialties here. And that is really, if you think of the diagnosis and you're in the right clinical situation, get that DBS uh, blood spot uh, done. And if it's positive, then you go down uh, the diagnostic pathway to make a diagnosis. And if it's got normal enzyme activity, then you've virtually excluded Pompe disease. I think you've nicely highlighted the key points. If you think of Pompe disease based on the symptoms and the signs, then you should consider the dried blood spot test. And that test is easily available throughout Australia. And in terms of uh, investigation, it's a big advantage over the traditional testing, such as the muscle biopsy. Thank you, Robert. Uh, thank our listeners for joining us in this discussion. And to arrange a simple blood test, I think you can look at uh, the paper and other resources to see how you can get this test done. Thank you for joining us for this important discussion on Pompey disease. For more information about requesting a DBS test, please visit sanofigenzymeonline.com.au forward slash diagnostics. And don't forget to check the episode notes for resources, references and links. Please join us next time as we continue to examine Pompey disease and how it can be identified and diagnosed earlier.